Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Ramiumptum Ruminations. My name is Scott, and I'm the host. Today's episode is called A Brief History of LDS Tithing. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode of the podcast. For the last few weeks, I've been covering the subject of the SEC charges against the church, and I've shifted a little bit over to uh, church finances. Last week, I talked briefly about tithing as it's described in the Old Testament and compared it to the way it's practiced today in the modern church. And today I'm going to cover a brief history of some of the major changes that took place within the LDS church and their doctrines surrounding tithing. I'll end it off with a story, an abstract way to look at finances and how that might alter um, the way someone might continue to pay their tithing that might still be a, a member of the church or an active believing member of the church and a listener to the podcast. The majority of the content that I'm getting for today's episode is from an article by D. Michael Quinn called LDS Church Finances from the 1830s to the 1990s. This was published in Sunstone in 1996. So not current to today, but the history in there is, um, is excellent. D. Michael Quinn is a, a, was a phenomenal scholar of LDS history. The first written thing we have about tithing in the LDS Church comes from Bishop Edward Partridge in 1837. And at the time, I'll, I'll quote him in just a sec here, in this first instance that we have written down about tithing in the LDS church, it was not what it is today. There's a couple of interesting distinctions. It was 2% of one's net worth after deducting debts. Here's what Bishop Partridge said in 1837. Bishop Partridge said, Believing that voluntary tithing is better than forced taxes, Bishop Partridge defined tithing as two cents on the dollar or one fiftieth of what we are worth after deducting what we owe. Now, this is different from what I cited last week. Last week, I quoted Doctrine and Covenants 119, and that actually came, that came about seven, eight months after this quote from Bishop Partridge. So then in Doctrine and Covenants 119, it defines tithing a little bit differently. It defined the law of tithing as an initial donation of all surplus property and a tenth of annual income thereafter. In the early days of the church, there was a tithe upon becoming a member of the church. And that's what this initial tithe was. This surplus property tithe was a tithe to become a member of the church. And then after that point, the members of the church were tithed on their annual income. Over the years, 1845, we have another uh, another proclamation from the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, re-emphasizing the duty of all saints to tithe themselves one-tenth of all they, all they possess when they enter into the new and everlasting covenant, and then one-tenth of their interest or income yearly afterwards. The source on that one is History of the Church, Volume 7, page 358. 
when we think of tithing today as the, the way it's practiced in the modern day, there isn't an entrance fee. There isn't an initial, an initial payment required of converts of the church to become members of the church. So that's an aspect of tithing from the early church that's no longer practiced today. This practice, though, was changed in um, May of 1899. President Lorenzo Snow received a revelation or made a public announcement limiting tithing to one-tenth of annual income with no massive payment upon conversion. The first 50 years of the church, plus or minus, there was a requirement of payment upon conversion into the LDS church, but that was done away with just before the turn of the century. In 1851, there's an interesting change here. Brigham Young provided a penalty for members of the church that didn't comply with the payment of tithes. In September 1851, there was a special conference at Salt Lake City, and they voted to accept excommunication as a punishment for non-payment of tithes and and non-observance of the word of wisdom's prohibition on tobacco and spirituous drink. (laughs) Though, um, according to D. Michael Quinn, neither of them were enforced very often. The next, the next significant change is 1881, and prior to this time, the payment of tithes was not a requirement to enter the temple, or not an explicit requirement. In 1881, April, President Taylor instructed stake presidents that church members now have to be tithe payers in order to have recommends for temple ordinances. The source for this on the, uh, the change by President Taylor comes from the Journal of Discourses, 22 page 207 to 208. So up until this point, up until 1881, it was not a requirement to have a temple recommend after already receiving your covenants. It was not a requirement to continue paying tithing to hold the temple recommend. The next major event with finances and uh, tithing with the LDS churches by 1898 was $2 million in debt because of legislation against the LDS church from the U.S. government in regards to plural marriage. As a response, as a direct response to that, Lorenzo Snow dramatically altered the way tithing was done. In this um, May 1899 declaration, President Snow did away with the payment upon conversion and limited tithing just to a payment of one-tenth of a member's annual income. From President Snow's time until today, this is largely the way tithing is understood within the LDS Church, as one-tenth of the annual income of the member. While doing my research for this episode, I found what might be the first time where the prosperity gospel was taught within the LDS Church, in the, the Deseret Evening News, in May 29th of 1899, Lorenzo Snow is quoted as saying, Through obeying this law, the blessings of prosperity and success will be given unto the saints. One of the other interesting changes in, the, um, in rhetoric around tithing is that um, Lorenzo Snow started talking about it as much more forcefully than previous leaders of the church had. The financial struggles of the 1890s within the LDS church 
um, were due to the Edmonds Tucker Act of 1887. So the LDS Church and the United States government were going back and forth on the subject of polygamy and the church was refusing to make any changes, any significant changes to its practice of polygamy. The government enacted legislation, the Edmonds Tucker Act of 1887. What it functionally did was it uh, disincorporated the LDS Church and the Perpetual Emigration Fund on the on the grounds that they that they fostered polygamy. It required an anti-polygamy oath for prospective voters, jurors, and public officers. It replaced local judges with federally appointed ones. When this was enacted, the leaders of the church did not yield. They, they didn't back down from their practice of polygamy. And so this act was enforced by the U.S. government. And the LDS church was stripped of much of its property. The LDS church at the time appealed this law, but the Supreme Court denied their petition. And this left them in financial ruin. When we look at the finances of the church and some of these decisions that were made about tithing and how tithing is practiced today compared to the way it was practiced in the early days of the church, polygamy is at the center of it. The reason it was changed was because the LDS church was deeply in debt because of their refusal to do away with polygamy. A part of this Edmunds Tucker Act also more than 13,000 Latter-day Saints were disenfranchised. They lost their rights to vote or serve on a jury. And more than 1,200 men who were practitioners of polygamy were either fined or imprisoned for six months. The fine was uh, like $500, if I'm not mistaken. After all this, then we have the first manifesto officially ending polygamy. We all know that it did continue in secret for a number of years. This was everything happening in the background that led to their financial problems 10 years later, which then led to the church changing its stance on tithing. It needed funds to get out of this deep hole that it was in. So then we have 10 years later, and this will be the end of my brief history. Then I'll bring up maybe one or two more points. In 1907, we have President Joseph F. Smith give this famous talk. And he's talking about tithing. And this is from General Conference in 1907. And again, Joseph F. Smith um, pushed forward again the requirement for tithing as um, in, in order to hold a current temple recommend. So here he is, 1907. I'm going to read a couple paragraphs of his conference talk there because I think they're fascinating. He says, I want to say another thing to you, and I do so by way of congratulation and that is that we have, by the blessing of the Lord and the faithfulness of the saints in paying their tithing, been able to pay off our bonded indebtedness. Today, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints owes not a dollar that it cannot pay at once. At last, we are in a position that we can pay as we go. We do not have to borrow any more, and we won't have to if the Latter-day Saints continue to live their religion and observe this, observe this law of tithing. It is the law of revenue to the church. So here we have, eight years later, after Lorenzo Snow dramatically changes the way tithing is done, they start hitting it hard, and they're requiring payments from their members. They've done it. They've gotten out of debt. And then here's this kicker. Here's the most important line to me <laughs> from this talk. He says, the very next paragraph from what I just quoted, furthermore, I want to say to you, 
that we may not be able to reach it right away. But we expect to see the day when we will not have to ask you for one dollar of donation for any purpose, except that which you volunteer to give of your own accord, because we will have tithes sufficient in the storehouse of the Lord to pay everything that is needful for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I want to live to see that day, if the Lord will spare my life. It does not make any difference, though, so far as it is concerned, whether I live or not. That is the true policy, the true purpose of the Lord in the management of the affairs of his church. I wonder when that day will come. When will the LDS church not need to require tithes anymore because it has tithes sufficient in the storehouse? Is owning 2% of Florida enough? Temples and properties across the globe? Billions and billions of dollars in investments? I wonder if Joseph F. Smith were alive today. I wonder if he would think that the LDS Church has enough assets that they no longer require a tithe and simple donations of the goodwill of the members would be enough. The last change that I want to mention is, is a practice that was in place from the beginning of the church until, until about 1908, so a year after this talk that I just cited. Um, and this was a change to something that was called the scrip system. Up until this time in the LDS church, a member of the church could pay tithing in cash, or they were allowed to pay this tithing in labor, personal property, livestock, or produce. So there was a wide variety of other ways that members of the church could pay tithing. But this was all changed in 1908. And for a source on that, it's uh, Leonard Arrington's Great Basin Kingdom, page 134 to 136. I think this is fascinating. I want to tell a quick story. When I was a young man, and my older brother was serving his mission for the church in the Philippines. I went to tithing settlement with my parents and my older sister and my little brother. We were all there doing our tithing settlement. I was making a settlement on the, the donations from my paper route and the little bit of money that I was making from that. And the bishop made a point, and, and this stuck with me. He asked me, and my little brother, if my older brother owed tithing. And I said to my bishop, I said, no, he, he's not working, so he doesn't, he's not making money. And the bishop said, it's more than that. He said that my older brother was giving 100% of his time to the church, and that that time was a tithe to the Lord. And it stuck with me because I'd only ever heard of tithing as, ref as a reference to money. This got my mind thinking, you know, my, my little little kid brain wondering about how could a labor given equate to a financial endeavor such as tithing. When we think about money, we think of it as a tangible item with intrinsic value. Outside of our culture, outside of our society, money doesn't have an intrinsic value on its own. Now, it used to. It used to be minted in raw metals and it would have a value of that that material that it was minted on but today it's so much more abstract than that these are numbers that are 
posted digitally to our bank accounts and we don't ever see cash and we don't ever see a hard minted coin to represent the labor that we put into the work. So money in an abstract sense represents a variety of different things. Our time worked, the, the actual hours of our labor represents a product that we produce with our labor. It can represent a property that we own. There's so many aspects of what money can represent. But when we talk about it, we just think, oh, yes, you know, the dollar or the pound, whatever the nation that we're in, this currency has X value. And it seems to be fixed in our minds. It doesn't have intrinsic value on its own. So to wrap up all, all of this discussion about tithing, all of this discussion about the SEC charges and all these things, I have long thought, even as a believer in the church, that a member with a calling that requires, let's just say, 10% of their time in the week, 10% of the hours that they have in a week, that time given should qualify as their tithe. Now I could go into some of the different theories about money, you know, going back to Aristotle saying you know, in politics um, that there's three basic functions of money. It's a medium of exchange, a unit of account, and a store of value. Or the main rival theory that's kind of the, the credit theory. It's that uh, the money is a social construct rather than a physical commodity. And that it's a promise of sufficient credit or um, credit of a credit worthy person. And that this is a transferable value from one person to the next as a form of making a trade. Regardless of what, where someone lands, I might say that, that money, what money really is. I don't think tithing is something that God needs. As it's been implemented in the past and the way it seems to be practiced, for a God who respects the widow's might more than all the donations of a rich man, why wouldn't he also accept a donation of time or services rendered if a member of the church believes that Joseph Fielding's Joseph F. Smith was a prophet of God? Is the requirement of tithing on the church fulfilled? And are we now in a time where the only thing the church needs from us is our labor? Thank you for listening to the episode today. I think I'll put this subject to bed for a little while. <laughs> I've been going on about it for a while and, and I, I feel like I've covered some of the dramatic changes from the way tithing was practiced anciently and to the shifts and the way it was practiced in the modern LDS church, it's evident. Whether, wherever someone lands on a spectrum of belief, it is evident that the way tithing is practiced today does not resemble the way it was practiced when Joseph Smith and Edward Partridge instituted it in the early days of the church. And on top of that, it doesn't seem to line up with the way tithing was practiced anciently. Calling it a restoration doesn't seem to match reality. And if we're to say that a day will come in the future where the church has enough money that it won't require tithes, that day probably came and went. But the church was quiet about it and hid that from the world. If this podcast is something you enjoy, please like it, subscribe to it, leave a comment on whatever streaming service that you're using. Greatly appreciate all of that. And whatever you find yourself out there, taking out all the 
patio furniture from the attic and putting it back on your, your deck, getting ready for a lazy afternoon in the sun. I hope that you have an excellent day.